The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. I know seeing this board behind me has already made some of you nervous. It looks like a lot of work. Trust me, it's not going to be. And the only reason these scripture references are up on the board is for your use, however you decide to make use of them. In the first section here, there are some scriptures that I will read through. This doesn't need to be a Bible drill sort of thing where you're having to blast through and find all these places. Certainly you're allowed, and and uh, and it's good to always check, make sure the pastor's really reading what's there and stuff like that. He's not trying to skip over things or hide anything. So I'll be reading through some of these and we'll, we'll actually get through them fairly quickly. But I just wanted to have them up there for those of you who take notes and look back on these things. You might want to go through them yourself. In the sec- second section here, I have homework, and that's quote-unquote in air quotes, homework. It's, it's if you have an interest. I've just, put in, I've just put a couple more references there if you'd like to explore the topic further and and you know what if you get done with all those and you want more there's a zillion more and I'll be happy to give you as much as you can stand and so with that in mind let's pray father I thank you for the good news that you are about to bring to your people Uh, I'm mindful of the fact that as I've studied these things, I have gotten really super excited about them, and they've they've blessed me in great ways. And it's made me realize that in my own strength, I'm not going to be able to communicate all of that. I need your Holy Spirit to come along and do for all of the hearers what you've already done for me, and and even more. Let us rejoice in the good news that you're about to give. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you've got them, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. This is the passage of Scripture that is commonly known. And when I say commonly, 
I mean, universally known as the Great Commission. Let me just say, I, I have great respect for men and women of God who have struggled very hard to understand the scriptures and have done their best to teach others how to understand these things. So don't hear me. I'm not trying to speak in a manner that sounds arrogant or anything like that. I just, in my, I've spent, I've spent years like you have sitting in Christian churches and hearing hundreds of sermons. And I've heard many sermons about the Great Commission. And I don't want to be seen as denigrating any of those or saying that they haven't been taught right. But I am convinced that most of the sermons that you've heard on the Great Commission have probably only scratched the surface of what you were intended to hear and understand by it. And, and you've heard the same things over and over again about it. And I'm not here to tell you that any of that stuff is wrong, but I am here to suggest that maybe that's not all there is and that our view needs to be a little bit even more expanded. So in that vein, there are a few things that I want to tell you that the Great Commission is not. <laughs> You've heard it, you may have heard it spoken some way or taught one way or another, and I want to disabuse you of some of those maybe not quite right ideas about the Great Commission. But first to do that, one of the places where I think that we often are taught this passage wrong is that we get taught the Great Commission as if it's an isolated thing that kind of sits by itself. You know, there are some kind of crazy sounding things that Jesus taught while he was here in the flesh. You run across them as you're reading through the Gospels and they just kind of stand out like sore thumbs and you're like, what in the world is that supposed to mean? And a lot of the times we can get tricked into thinking that anything Jesus said might fall into that kind of category. And... The Great Commission is lifted up generally, maybe not on purpose, but the way that it winds up being taught is as if this is a new commandment that Jesus is giving. He's sending his church out, and he's doing a new thing. And wow, it's amazing. He's been raised from the dead. And who knows what the, all the ramifications of that are going to be. And so in that context, here's this resurrected Lord, and it's right before he is brought up to heaven himself and he leaves his church with this final piece of instruction and man it seems very big and it seems very loud and and kind of out of the blue i'm convinced it shouldn't be out of the blue i'm convinced that if we knew our bibles we knew it from the beginning we would get to the great commission and say ah i see what you did there i understand where you get that from and so as part of proving that the Great Commission shouldn't strike us as new or odd or out of left field, I want to read to you some passages of Scripture. And these, I'm going to go through them in the order they're on the board behind me. Again, you don't need to turn. That would take quite a bit of time. I'm not even going to turn there. They're all written down. So for the sake of saving time, I'm just going to read through them. First one is Genesis in chapter 1, verse 28, after creating man and woman, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, 
and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That passage is known as the dominion mandate. God created man, both male and female, and gave them a mandate to have dominion over everything else that God had made, to serve as kings and queens over the whole thing. Well, pastor, but that was before the fall into sin, and, and you know, things went downhill pretty shortly after that. Well, then after the flood comes, after God has decided it's time to start from square one with a new family here, then in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, this is after the flood, he reiterates that. And among other things that he says, he says, be fruitful and multiply, and into your hand they are delivered. Speaking about all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So it's the same commandment, be, be fruitful Uh, multiply, fill the earth, and understand that everything else I have made, I have delivered it into your hand. You are to have dominion. We come to the book of Psalms, chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 3 through, what was that, 3 through 8? I can't read my own writing. David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have, put in, have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given, them, you have given him dominion over all the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So there in David's day, we have the same concept repeated in the Psalms, right? You've made man a little lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over all things. Now, an interesting thing then happens. I don't know if you heard that. He said, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Now, when we get into the New Testament, this verse right here it's got the little arrow here that's to indicate that this is a new testament verse commenting on what we just saw when we get into hebrews in chapter two what you will find there in uh verses five through nine you'll find the author of the book of hebrews commenting on what we just read from psalm eight and what he does is he takes that phrase what is the son of man that you care for him and he's, he's taking that, that's not just a poetic way of talking about man and his descendants, but that's talking about the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his favorite title for himself, I'm the Son of Man. And what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is, specifically, this is about Jesus. The whole passage is echoing the dominion mandate, right? It's the same thing. All the works of God have been placed under the feet of man. It's generally that dominion mandate, but it gets then very specific. And it says, this is about Jesus. And he says in that place, he's very honest, we do not yet see all things made subject to him, but we do see Jesus who, because of the suffering of death, was crowned with glory and honor. So this is talking then about the exalted place of the Lord Jesus Christ. If man in general has been given dominion, the argument is, then how much more is the Son of Man given dominion over all things? 
Then I want to point out to you the, the second psalm in verses 7 and 8. And this is, this is going to expand the dominion concept a little bit more because what I'm about to read to you, we've seen the dominion being about the created things, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, whatever God has made. But in Psalm 2, it becomes very importantly expanded. And now it's not just about other creatures that God made, but it's about the nations. It's about all the ends of the earth. It's about even sinners. This is the spirit of Jesus speaking in Psalm 2, verses 7 through 8. And he says, I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give the nations for your heritage. I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus then quotes that in the Revelation. And it's obvious that where God invited him to ask for these things, Jesus did not forget to ask. He actually asked. And now the ends of the earth and all the, all the nations have been given to him as his inheritance. And lastly, I want to draw to your attention to Psalm 110, verse 1. This is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament in the whole New Testament, which should make us understand that the Holy Spirit thinks this is extremely important. Jesus quoted this uh, quite often in reference to himself. Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. There's that whole dominion concept. The invitation from God the Father to God the Son is sit now at my right hand until I dominionize all your enemies. I'm going to put them all under your footstool. Sit right here. I'm going to put your enemies under your footstool. I will make them a footstool under your feet. Now again, there's New Testament commentary on that topic. 1 Corinthians 15.25 Where Paul says, and he's quoting from this passage, and he says, For he, that's Jesus, for he must reign until all his enemies are put in subjection under his feet. Some language like that your New Testament will have. And what I want to point out there is the New Testament Greek of that passage, the language that Paul actually wrote it in, he makes no mistake. The verb tense is such that when Paul says he must reign until his enemies are made his footstool, he's talking about something that's already happening as he writes. And that's unmistakable from what he says. When he says he must reign, that means which is already happening. This is going on. And there are other places we could go for the sake of time. We won't go there. I've written a couple of them up here. But the truth of the scripture from cover to cover is that it was God's intention through the Messiah to set the Lord up on high at his right hand and then through that Messiah to reign through his people over all things. It's the fulfillment of the original dominion mandate that took place thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden. And now you who are in Christ, you are being called to participate in that dominion, in that kingdom. 
These verses here, these that I've picked up for you to maybe look at later in Daniel chapter 7. We won't go there, but Daniel has a vision where he sees the Ancient of Days. That's God seated upon his throne. One like a son of man rides upon the clouds and comes up to the throne. And when he gets there, he is given authority and dominion and a kingdom that shall never pass away. We believe this has already happened. Also in Galatians, if you want to look at those verses there, now we're talking about the life of Abraham and what Abraham was promised. The book of Romans says Abraham was promised the whole world as an inheritance. But in these passages here, you'll see the promise was all nations shall be blessed in you. But pay attention to those verses and see who the seed of Abraham is. Who are his who are his descendants? Is it physical Jews? No, it's not. It's those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The promise of God there is not, if everything goes well, a remnant from every nation will be blessed in you. That's not the promise. The promise is all nations shall be blessed in you. And now you who are in Christ, you are counted as the descendants of Abraham, co-inheritors of the promise. And what was the promise? All the nations. All the nations. Now with that background in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 28. And we see what Jesus has to say. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if you're hearing me right and is it arrogant for me to say this? If you're hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, what I just read should seem like the continuance and the fulfillment of all those verses that we just looked at. Was Jesus talking about a new thing? Or was he saying, this is what the plan always was. Here is how it's coming to pass. I wonder how many times you've heard anybody preach the Great Commission like that. This is the eternal plan of God. This was plan A, and it is happening now. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? This is not new. It's been called the Great Commission because Jesus does send out his church to go and do these things. But I wish we'd come up with a different name. I propose, one of my proposals is, is, the, is that we call it the great culmination. But that sounds horrible, <laughs> right? That rolls off the tongue like a dice or six-sided something. The great culmination. But that's what it is. It's the fulfillment. It's the promise. It's how God is giving the ends of the earth to his son, Jesus Christ. This is not new. It was the plan, and it's happening. This is an amazing thing to me. I also want to point out, you saw there in verse 18, the first thing Jesus says is not to send them. The first thing he says is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? And then the last thing that he says is 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority is mine. I am with you from now until the very end. Where do you see defeat in there? Where do you see a possibility of this not coming to pass in there? The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, kind of widely recognized as being the greatest Christian preacher in the history of the Christian church, said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, the Holy Spirit will never allow it to be attached to his name, the idea that he could not convert the world. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. I am with you to the end of the age. And people sneak defeat in there somewhere. They try to find a space to say, well, maybe. <laughs> Do you see when Jesus is promised the ends of the earth and all the nations for his possession, how can we then treat this passage as if it's something other than the culmination of that. We treat it as if it's Jesus gave a battle plan to his church. But you know how war goes. And the first casualty in any war is the battle plan. And we might have to, we might have to come up with different strategies and do something different once the enemy gets a hold of this. I want to suggest to you that the Great Commission is not keys to victory. It's not. The Great Commission is not a set of keys to victory. The victory has already been won. The Great Commission is not keys to victory. It's keys to your inheritance in Christ Jesus. I almost bust out crying when I say that and not sad crying. I'm so joyful to come to you and tell you, you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus, and what we have in this passage is the key to unlock your inheritance. What's a battle plan? Well, those of you who have been involved in any kind of sports, you know that when one team knows they're going to face another team, what do they do? They assess, they sit down with a game film or something, and they'll say, well, this team has a lot of strengths. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a really fast wide receiver. We're going to have to do something about that. They've got an amazing guy on defense. We're going to have to put two guys on him every play. Right? They're coming up with a battle plan based on what's their strengths and weaknesses. What do we do really well? Well, we can't keep up with their wide receivers, so we're going to have to just run the ball and eat up the clock so they can't, do, you know, they're coming up with strategies based on their own strengths and weaknesses. And when the battle is joined, they're just going to hope it works out right. They're going to hope they're able to follow their battle plan. That is not what we have here. A battle plan, a game plan implies maybe we'll lose the battle. Maybe the game won't go our way. That's not present in this text. It's not a battle plan. It's not keys for victory. It's keys to your inheritance in Christ Jesus. What would it look like? What am I saying that it is? Imagine, hypothetical situation. Imagine that from the day you could hear or understand speech, 
that your whole family has been telling you your grandfather has an amazing mansion. He's working on it. It's not quite done, but he's remodeling it and completing it. And you've been written into his will and he's going to give you that mansion. Generations pass. Grandpa, grandpa finally dies. And now other members of the family go to work on this mansion. But you get told the whole time, this is yours. What's being built is yours. And then the day comes, maybe you weren't even looking for it. You were just busy with your everyday life and doing whatever you had to do. The day comes when somebody comes to you with keys on a ring and says, it's yours. It's already been yours. And now you have the keys. Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to move to this place where the, where the mansion is. You're going to have to maybe go to the electric company and tell them there's somebody living there now and to turn on the power. But you stick the key in the lock and you turn it this way and you disarm the alarm inside with this code. You're given the information that you need to go and take possession of that which was yours from the beginning, which you have heard about from the beginning. It's not keys to victory. It's the keys to your inheritance. And when Jesus now says, go and make disciples of all the nations, that's not, that's not a plan to see if maybe this thing can work out somehow. <sighs> Saying, you get involved in this, and you are my co-heir. The Bible says that if we are in Christ Jesus, we are co-heirs. With him, co-inheritors. He has been given all things. Is there any way that Jesus is going to be disappointed with his inheritance? No. Why do you let people tell you? Well, this is a good plan. It obviously hasn't worked out very well up until now. You walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I am telling you, and I understand, as we take these keys and we look out on the world and we look at the things that the Christian church has accomplished or not accomplished, show me the nation that is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, and the Holy Ghost. Well, right now, it's kind of hard to look around and find that. We have had moments in history where it's, we've seen things like this come to pass. You know, when the original 13 colonies in America were established, every colony except for one had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They had faith written into their constitutions. That's kind of a little glimpse of what that means to baptize a nation. See, many people have come to you and said, we need to go out, we need to send missionaries, we need to save people, we need to preach the gospel to them, we need to baptize as many individuals as we can. Yes and amen, but all of that is on the way to baptizing the whole nation. Teaching the whole nation to obey whatsoever things God has commanded. You're not going to get it any other way. It's got to be one person at a time. I've got to be one to Christ before I can win my family to Christ before I can turn my home into a Christian home. I've got to be one to Christ as a business owner before I can start running my business in a Christian way. And you know that's how it goes. Your pastor has to be one to Christ before he can begin to implement true biblical principles in a Christian church. And this doesn't change. 
The fact that the implementation is slow and gradual, and the fact that we have not yet seen everything that we believe we will see, doesn't mean that any of this is wrong. The author of the book of Hebrews, like we say, he was honest enough to say, we do not yet see all things in subjection to Christ. But that doesn't mean this ain't true. Doesn't mean it ain't about to happen. It's coming to pass. Victory. You have been called to victory. If you've been called to Christ, you have been called to victory. You've been, you've been called to be part of the winning team. We look out and the news, news broadcasts blare it to us about how bad things are going and all this stuff. Everything meant to scare you and stifle you and make you huddle within the walls of your home and not risk anything. You've been called to do that by every voice that you hear. But scripture has called you to believe that you're on the winning team. Can you do that? It's hard. When you look out and you don't see any victory, you don't see the kingdom of Christ, you don't see very many people professing Christ, and half the ones you do are whack nuts and idiots, it's hard. I want to point out to you that the Great Commission is not a rescue mission, it's a conquest. The Great Commission is not a rescue mission. It has been preached to you before as if it's a rescue mission. Time is short. We've got to snatch out whatever individuals we can snatch out. Well, that's the first step, like I said. But the, the vision that God has placed in the scripture from the beginning is not to save a little remnant of people. The vision is for a whole world. The nation's streaming into the kingdom of God. The kings of the earth bringing their wealth and their treasure and setting it at the feet of Christ. That vision hasn't changed. I am calling you to repent of your defeatist attitudes. I am calling you to repent of your pessimism regarding the future. I'm not calling you to be a wild-eyed optimist who just hopes for the best no matter what. I'm calling you to believe the promises of God. And how then can you look defeated on what might come to pass? I've mentioned to you all before, some of you are not old enough to remember this. Well, most of you are. Most of you all old. Gilligan's Island. Back in the 60s and 70s, Gilligan's Island. There was an episode of Gilligan's Island, I don't know if you remember it, where a kamikaze pilot had been crashed. And he didn't know that the war was over. He thought it was still his job to kill all the Americans, right? And so the crew of the SS Minnow had to figure out a way to uh, deal with this guy who still thinks he's at war. And they found a way of convincing him at the end, the war is already over. Your side lost, but we're not going to kill you. We're not going to treat you bad. Your side lost already. It's done. And I'm saying when you and I go out and share Christ with people, it's not that we are trying to conquer them. We're trying to show them that they've already been conquered, that their side is already lost. The, the battle isn't still raging. This isn't a rescue mission. It's a mop-up operation. The final blow has already been dealt. Jesus walked out of that grave after taking the best 
the worst, the most that the combined forces of hell and darkness could throw at him, he shrugged all that off and walked forward more powerful than before. This is done. This is done. The victory, we don't have to get victory. We have to live in the victory that's already been made, in the victory that's already been achieved. That's what we do. We just walk in it. What? We share Christ. We teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, which means first, we have to know that. We have to be walking in it. That's how you turn the keys on your inheritance. That's how you get inside what was promised for thousands of years. To me, that's exciting. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.